Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing great, man. Things are crazy, things are fun, the weather's fantastic, and it seems like California is going to open up a little bit, so that's exciting. I took coronavirus extremely seriously compared to most people, and now I'm starting to t- turn the opposite uh, a little bit sooner than everyone else, I think, and starting to take it less seriously. So it's kind of weird, kind of weird. I don't know how I think about that. R- Hunter's rubbing off on you. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I think there's still we have still like two more weeks. People are starting to go out right now, so like in two weeks we'll see the repercussions of that. Um, I'm optimistic though. I'm optimistic. So what do you do if they open up a bar tomorrow? Do you go or do you wait and see? Oh, I hundred percent go. I want to be there day one. Absolutely. Think of the vibes of the day one bar openings after coronavirus. I one hundred percent want to be there for that. I want to see. Yeah, because like other people are gonna go too, and so like. Might as fucking well. Like, that's a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, like, you know, qu- quarantine ends, rush to the bars. I'm definitely going. Very interesting, uh, very interesting, uh, what was I going to say, sentiment. I was speaking, so uh, Alec Berkeley from college, he ha- he was having, like, a virtual uh, groomsmen. Alec Berkeley, the guitarist on our on our intro? Yes, exactly. The person who wrote uh, Blue, Blue Gold, Freaks of the Sea. But, uh... I was in his bachelor party, kind of like virtual chat, and I asked the the crew that same question, and all of them were like, "Hell no, <laughs> not touching that shit with a six foot six foot pole." Yeah, it's interesting to see the polarization with people's opinions about that. But like, I mean, if the, if I go into the bars and the bars are empty, then I'm I'm just going home. Like, if the, if it's not if it's not a fucking party, if it's not a rager, and everyone's like stoked that the quarantine's over, then there's no point to be there. Uh, which I guess is also counterintuitive to like the whole quarantine thing. Yep. Um, but you guys, we got a good show uh, up for you. There's a whole bunch of shenanigans going on in the crypto space right now. So uh, a lot of stuff for us to give commentary on. We got no guests. It's just us. We're going to be riffing. Mm-hmm. And speaking, uh, before we get into the episode, we want to talk about our lack of sponsors. We are currently looking for sponsors. And so if you are interested in sponsoring with POV Crypto, hit us up. Uh, If you guys are previous listeners of the show, you know that we give absolutely killer ad reads for all of our sponsors. Uh, We're really good at it. And uh, POV Crypto goes right to the heart of uh, of the whole crypto industry. So really important people listen to POV Crypto. Yeah, I mean, we've represented some really awesome companies too, right? We, we've uh, represented eToro for a long time, Unchained Capital, uh, shouted out to Swan Bitcoin a couple times. Uh, who else? Haven App, uh, Celsius Network, bunch of, I mean, I can't even think of them all, but a uh, ton of different sponsors. So thank you to everyone who has sponsored the show in the past. And uh, to all our listeners, give us a shout, give us a ring. We would love to rep your company. All right, three main topics today. We're going to talk about WBTC inside of MakerDAO. Uh, that has been a very controversial topic in the Ethereum sphere, uh, which I have very strong opinions about. Uh, most people are hammering on like, oh, WBTC is centralized, and I would like to give the opposite opinion. I mean, I, it is centralized, but it's not really bad that it's in MakerDAO. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about personal tokens, which I also have very strong opinions about. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And then, of course, we're going to talk about uh, the happening, which under underpins the whole entire conversations of everything in the crypto sphere. Um, shall we just go ahead and get right into it, Christian? 
Yeah. So wait, why don't you give the backdrop on how WBTC was added to this kind of like make or die pool or the the make or die pool of collateral and uh, what is the main qualm with it? Yeah, so like really short a history of uh, collateral being added to MakerDAO. Uh, first, there's Ether, uh, and and then there's single collateral die, and there's only Ether, and then we roll out multi collateral die, and then you can add basic attention token, which is like a shit coin, which I think is the perfect example of the first collateral you put into MakerDAO to stress test the system. Like, let's add a total shit coin to MakerDAO, uh, and then. Black Friday happened and the die peg was off. And so the die peg was at a dollar and five cents. And so they added USDC as collateral so that people could arbitrage into, into uh, the lowering the peg. So if you add USDC as collateral, you can mint die without having to have ether risk because the reason why no one was minting die was because no one wanted ether because it had just dropped from like uh, $200 to like $90 in like a day and a half. Uh, and then, and then, very, very recently, they added WBTC. And so, the concern here is that we've added USDC, which is a centralized co- uh, coin. There's a there's a whitelist and blacklist functions from Circle, meaning that the Circle or whoever controls that smart contract can just uh, uh, block any CDP or any vault from accessing USDC. So there's risk there centralization risk there and we don't like centralization risk because this is crypto uh and then there's wbtc now i don't think wbtc has a a blacklist or whitelist function in the code i think it's an agnostic erc20 token which means bitgo can't i think this is true can't uh, blacklist or whitelist vaults in the same way usdc can however they can just do something else with the Bitcoins that they have in their vault. So like WBTC, it isn't Bitcoin, right? Because it's not Bitcoin on the L1 chain. It's a token that uh, BitGo honors for a one-to-one swap for for Bitcoin. So it's not actually Bitcoin. So there's not actually Bitcoin there. So you're running on the trust of BitGo to honor that commitment for those ERC-20 tokens. And so the value of that token runs on the trust of the company. Uh, And so people are starting to have qualms with the collateral inside of MakerDAO. So that's really the the whole conversation that this surrounds. I'm surprised that the qualms didn't start with BAT. But I mean, I guess you have a different opinion on they that. They did. But like, like BAT, is BAT a not centralized coin too? Like, isn't it kind of a centralized coin? It's not because there's no burn, there's no burn and mint function. So no more BAT can be minted. So that's gone. There is no whitelist or blacklist function, so that's not a risk either. Uh, and the oh, I think maybe the only centralization risk is that maybe there's a large treasury of BAT. I don't know what the Brave or whoever controls BAT, how big their treasury is, but like it's fully decentralized in the sense that like the market forces have complete control over BAT. So there's nothing. There's no like surprise like whale that's going to dump. Except or, for a Brave. Yeah, yeah. There's always going. There's going to be more than there is with like something like Bitcoin or Ether or gold or something like that. But like all the other risks, like that USDC and WBTC have, BAT does not have. I don't know. I mean, like, what happens if Brave starts stop supporting BAT? Right, and so and this is also my this the answer to this is also why I think that. Oh, I just kidding. I, I just caught up with your question. What happens if Brave starts supporting Bat? Well, that's kind of like that's like saying like what happens when like Nike start stops supporting shoes. It's like 
sure, like we could hypothecate about that. Uh, but what's what's the point of that, right? Like, is it is it useful to to talk about what happens when? I think there is legitimate reasons that people could continue to create these class action lawsuits against people that have issued these tokens that are pseudo money, mm-hmm. pseudo security things. Like, I don't. It's not out of the question that the legal system comes down on the company behind that. Right, and and you could say that for USDC and for WBTC too, right? Like the, I think what you're talking about is centralization risk. Is that fair? I'm saying that BAT is a centralized shitcoin, and it's completely based on the ecosystem of the company Brave. And if they stop supporting it, then like y'all should have been throwing a fit the whole time. Like right, that that's what people's qualms are about MakerDAO adding WBTC as collateral. And the answer for this. And the answer for all other collaterals ever added to MakerDAO ever is that what MakerDAO is, is a risk filtration system. And so all of the centralization risks, the Oracle risks, like the whatever risks, those are all mediated and filtered out by the MakerDAO protocol. And so it doesn't, and so there's, there's the debt ceiling, there's the stability fee. uh, And so there's a limit on how much die can be printed that's backed by bat and it's very very low for bat and it's it's i think it's higher for usdc and i need to look at these parameters um but the point is is like there there's less less than uh one percent of all die is backed by bat and i think eight percent of all die is backed by usdc and also less than one percent of die is now backed by wbtc and so like we can talk about the centralization risk of wbtc but, but people are forgetting that what MakerDAO does is when you put a collateral with, with risk into the MakerDAO protocol, the pro, what the protocol does is it takes the risk from that collateral and it gives the risk to MKR and protects DAI at all costs. So like you're not making DAI centralized. The right criticism is you're making MKR have the centralization risk. But that's just the whole point of the protocol. The whole point of the protocol is that the MKR token absorbs the risk and then also the reward. Like this is fundamental like MakerDAO 101 that I think people are just totally forgetting about. The meme that you posted with the soldier with the maker face protecting die in bed, like I thought that that really uh, accurately portrays you know what you're trying to describe, and that's probably how the maker die or make, I don't know what I'm saying maker die maker die system actually like it's complete. That's exactly how it's designed, right? The question is, do you think that the stakeholders can make good collateral decisions in order to protect uh, the currency? And it seems as though people are really starting to question that. Your question, your take is that, look, let's stress test the system. Everyone else's take is just freak out and like kind of like maybe they're missing the point. Maybe the whole thing is dumb in the first place. I don't know. But yeah, I think what they're doing is they they maker is falling victim to the uh, decentralized engagement on Twitter attack where you can just go on to Twitter and be like, there's centralization risk. And then you get like 50 likes and five retweets and then a hella engagement. When there's a, when you forget to go to the MakerDAO Thursday governance calls and you don't go into the MakerDAO chat and talk about these things and you don't go to the Tuesday community calls and talk about risks and where they go over these risks and you only stay on Twitter and say like, oh, it's, it's centralized, which is like the lamest take ever. Like, thanks. Like, we, we, we know. We understand. 
and and so it's the it's the it's the it's not it's not decentralized engagement attack is, is what maker is falling victim to right now so are you happy with wbtc being added to maker and do you think the process worked exactly as planned regardless that wbtc is not the perfect form of bitcoin everyone needs to take a step back and realize that there is bitcoin inside of MakerDAO. that is a fundamental like achievement unlocked like fuck yes we fucking got it why are we not talking about the fact that bitcoin is inside is not is now inside MakerDAO? you can permissionlessly mint a mint a a a, a loan that you own a loan where you own your own debt with Bitcoin as collateral. Now, WBTC is a shitty version of Bitcoin. Like, I'm not here to fight that fight. And it's going to be it's improved an and iterated on. It's an IOU. But it's going to be improved and iterated on. Like, other versions of Bitcoin are coming down the pipeline. TBTC just got launched earlier this week. And there's no way that, like, the perfect form of Bitcoin was going to come first like WBTC is first because centralized actors just move faster. This is just like logical. And people are forgetting about the fact of why we're all here in this in this industry to begin with, which is permissionless decentralized finance and money. And like that's what's going on. There's fucking Bitcoin inside of MakerDAO. Why are we all not cheering about this? High standards. Well, we're getting there, man. Like standards are improving. High we're, standards we're, until it comes to bat, but that's cool. <laughs> I just think I just think that it like if you're gonna be pissed about WBTC like why the fuck are you like okay like that's okay no I'm I'm not pissed about WBTC I'm stoked about WBTC I'm I'm, I'm calling oh, that yeah. all the 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 the, mm-hmm. the keyboard commandos on Twitter yeah yeah be that's, consistent that's, yeah. here mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. saying that was stupid and then I didn't really have that much of an opinion about U- USDC but. I think the final part of this conversation, and then we'll move on, is like people talking about like purity die, like ETH only die. And like that's great, but like we saw what happened with ETH only die on Black Thursday. Like the system got stress tested and it, it broke down, and there, were, uh, there was collateral that was purchased for zero, for zero die. Like that broke. ETH only die broke. And so, like, the whole point about MakerDAO is that you add in as many assets as you can so that DAI has the minimum amount of risk possible. And, like, so people are saying, like, okay, USDC is now collateral, WBTC is collateral. Like, I'm trying to get realty tokens in there as collateral, too, and that's centralized. And then somebody's going to put gold in there, and that's going to be centralized. And somebody's going to put bonds in there, and that's centralized. But it doesn't actually matter because, like, these centralization risks, they don't compound because each one is its own centralization risk, right? Like the failure of Realty doesn't impact the failure of WBTC, right? So like even though it's centralization risk, it's compartmentalized centralization risk. And so if you have like 500, 1,000, whatever different assets that are all centralized inside of MakerDAO, it's not really any more meaningful amount of centralization risk because each one is its own risk. And so it's still protected it's still pure well it kind of depends on the details around you know what all those assets are but um, i get what you're saying and rune kind of echoed a similar sentiment he was saying like what is more perfect of a collateral to counterbalance eth is is super centralized super uh stable usdc um so i i guess i can kind of understand the take personally like i don't have i kind of have a skeptical view of the whole thing like, I think that the governance process is not adequate in making these kind of decisions uh, to maintain a stable coin. That's my 
my take. So I think that, you know, potentially it's being proven now, potentially not. But ultimately, I do understand why multi-collateral DAI seems to have a purpose beyond just, you know, ETH-only DAI. My question for you is, do you think that there's going to be an ETH-only DAI competitor coming down the pipe? The community is definitely clamoring for it, but it's just going to be a shittier version of DAI. Like it's going to have less liquidity. It's going to have, it's going to be off the peg much more. Uh, There's going to be less of them. And so like still off the peg. Yeah. Yeah. But it's going to be even more off the peg to whatever the degree that the die is off the peg today, whatever ETH die is, is, is going to be more off the peg. And so like we always remember that liquidity begets liquidity and stable coins are supposed to be stable. And so when this one stable coin is more liquid and more stable and then this ETH only principle based uh, die version of die is out there that is more off the peg and, and less liquid, like people aren't going to use that one. It's just going to people are just going to converge around die. One more question and then we can just change subjects. How do you feel about USDC's moves into the ecosystem? into the DeFi ecosystem. Yeah, so Coinbase is like really pivoting themselves as being like a DeFi friendly company, right? Would you agree with that? They've been more Ethereum friendly than they've ever been Bitcoin friendly. <laughs> and like Gemini is starting to do this too. So like Gemini listed DAI, Gemini listed fucking Chainlink, uh, Cameron Winklevoss uh, tweeted something pro pro DeFi. Uh, so like, uh, my talk on on Friday, which is about the se- settlement insurances and the protocol sync thesis, uh, which I've really been collaborating with as a concept with Ryan John Adams about the protocol sync thesis. The idea is that these credibly neutral platforms like Dai, I would consider a credibly neutral platform, are going to sink to the bottom and people are going to build upon it. Like Compound is like a credibly neutral platform and people can build upon Compound. So these centralized companies like Coinbase, which offers you 1.5% on your USDC, by the way, even though that's not very high, they're getting those returns from DeFi. Uh, and so I think that, and, and, and Ryan agrees with me that these, these protocols are going to be built into companies and companies are going to service uh, their customers with these protocols and like abstracted away in the background. And so with, with USDC getting integrated into DeFi, Coinbase is taking this very pro DeFi stance that I'm, makes me optimistic. So you don't feel like USDC is like a Trojan horse into DeFi? Trojan horse for what? Corruption, centralization risk, dependency on Coinbase. A lot of the things that people accuse Bitfinex of in Tether, but I mean, I think that US, yeah. I think that Coinbase is equally doing that shit. Yeah, um, I mean, there's always going to be pros and cons uh, to some centralized company integrating themselves deeply into into the DNA of DeFi. Uh, it's going to be one of those things, though, where I think it might just become too big to fail, or as in like too big for the governments to really do anything meaningful without. Uh, causing harm to people um and so like the sec we've seen the sec like have decisions that are impacted as to whether or not it harms investors or not and i think if we use that as a model for understanding how uh, authorities are going to take a look at tools like uscc inside of DeFi, i think they'll maybe give them the longer and more that uscc is inside of DeFi, the more favorable um any sort of like legal regulations will be around it is is a is a take all right what's next 
personal tokens. Personal tokens. Personal oh, tokens. Man. Again, again, something I have very strong opinions are on. And again, something that's obviously dumb. Like so <laughs> fucking dumb. <laughs> it's like, have we learned nothing from the ICO mania? Okay, do you, do you just want me to go off on this one? Because I'll I'll just go off on it. Let, give me a second, and then I'll and then uh, you you can have the floor. So uh, Jake Travitsky, who was on the podcast very recently, put out probably the the most sane thing you could possibly say. Not legal advice, but if you're thinking about raising capital by selling a personal token in the United States to fund your career on the promise of returning profit to investors based on your future efforts, maybe just don't. And I would agree with him. I didn't know that he tweeted this, but I uh, just went to his Twitter account and just retweeted it because yes. And, and let's, let's take for a moment that Jake Trinisky is uh, the general counsel to compound. And so this guy knows what he's fucking talking about. Uh, if you guys didn't listen to the episode with Jake Trinisky extremely recently, uh, go listen to it. Excuse me, Trevinsky. Sorry. Uh, go listen to it. It was, it was a good one. Uh, okay. So the time, the timeline on this, on this is, is personal tokens have been like touted around as a, an idea for a while. And then I'm not going to get this timeline perfectly right, but there is like a set of people um, that issued tokens that will allow you to do some things with their, with them. So like Amin Soleimani has the Pew token, Pew, Pew, Pew. Uh, and if you buy a Pew token from Uniswap and you send it to him, you get a retweet. Uh and so that's cool. Like, sure, that, that fine. That if that's what personal tokens are, then fine. Like, selling your retweets, whatever. If we want to use a blockchain token for that and Uniswap for that, like, fine. That's that's permissionless finance. Sure, um, nothing nothing wrong with that in my opinion. A couple other people did that too. There's nothing like fundamentally groundbreaking here. It's just kind of a fun curiosity. What I few tokens are going to moon to the next bull run. <laughs> There, it's one one quarter of an ETH for a Pew token, so they're pretty fucking steep. Damn, dude. Pretty fucking steep. I mean, yeah, he really thinks highly of his retweets. Pretty stingy with his retweets. He must really love us. I thought about. I thought about. He's giving us a lot of retweets. <laughs> Thanks, I mean. He's like, boom, yeah, quarter of an ETH. A lot of ether. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, what was I gonna say? Um, so there, there's a difference between like selling your retweets via an ERC twenty token on Uniswap and soliciting investment into you as a person. And so the first person that did this was this Alex guy. His okay, Alex uh, Ma- Masman. Uh, his his Twitter Twitter bio is I tokenize myself. Dollar sign Alex is what he's calling the name of his cryptocurrency. Uh, and so he raised twenty thousand dollars, sold uh, sold tokens at two cents a pop, uh, and then he's airdropping them out to investors. Um, so he he had this medium article that said like this is what you get from from the Alex token, and I don't have that medium article in front of me, but I am gonna find the the Kerman uh, article, which is the which is the person that did this next. And so now we have two people that have done this. We have the Alex guy who. Like it's he's it's an income share agreement, so he's promising to give you a certain percentage of of like the revenue that he makes from whatever he does, and then there's also some other like little odds and ends that you can you can do, and and so it's it's like kind of kind of like issuing equity in yourself and then selling it, and so like you it's a claim on the revenue. Oh yeah, so one thing he was like you get you get fifteen percent of all income I make capped at a hundred thousand dollars for the next three years. Uh, 
And so like it's, it's stuff like that. It's revenue from a, a company, except instead of a company, it's a person. Uh, and so then this other guy, Kerman, also followed, followed suit. Uh, and so like his initial Kerman offering Medium article uh, goes through uh, a little bio about himself, his accomplishments, uh, and then the offering. So like total supply, 10 million Kerman investing over three years. Uh, you know, a, uh, amount for offering $30,000. And he, the title of this is literally Initial Kerman Offering. Uh, and, uh, you know, min, min and max contributions. Um, and so, like, here's, here's, here's the deal of the token. Uh, the Kerman token is deflationary as any tokens used for labor or redemptions will result in tokens being burned out of existence. So, like, the MakerDAO fee model, basically. Uh, Tokens will be burned on the following basis. 5% of revenue earned from DeFi Weekly, his newsletter, so any money he makes from DeFi Weekly, will be purchased on the open market and burned forever. Any tasks which are labor-based after redemption, which uh, will also be burned forever. Uh, and then below are some of the things Kerman tokens can be used for. 75,000 Kerman tokens uh, gets you a post on DeFi Weekly about your project and three hours of consulting time around strategy, engineering, or product. 25,000 Kerman, Kerman tokens for five hours of my time for consulting. Uh, and then 25,000 Kerman for a retweet on Twitter. Uh, and and then in addition to He that, has 1,000 followers, by the way. So. He has 1,000 Twitter followers. In addition, all Man. Kerman... <laughs> In addition, all Kerman, job, Kerman holders uh, will be eligible for the following invite-only Telegram group where I post about what's going on in my life and any queries, doubts I have. Monthly Kerman meetings where I'm heading and open to any advice token holders have for me. My portfolio of coins and tokens as I enter and exit trades. Um, and, then, and then, yeah. And so there, we need to remember why we are here in crypto, which is trustless permissionless settlement of assets as defined by code and this could not be more opposite of that where again like this is it, it would be cool if this was like a cool interesting like DeFi experiment but it's not as soon as you start soliciting thirty thousand dollars of investment from from like the world like as soon as you start doing that you start making things very very serious like there are rules and regulations about soliciting in for investment now the guy doesn't live in the united states and so like he doesn't have to follow the rules and regulations of the united states i don't know where he lives like maybe it's australia um yep uh but but then also there's like the i would prefer it if he lived in the united states because then there's legal recourse like there's or legal recourse of the united states like legal system not not that australia doesn't have a legal system but like the united states legal system is like par none right and so so wait my question is and not to interrupt the status stuff but uh, going on a um, tangent so you need to stop me yeah like who the fuck is buying these tokens he already sold like what ten thousand yeah, dollars worth he's already sold more than half is it just because it's a token that's new and novel? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's like friends and family. I don't know. Just send the man some yeet. Well, like, hey, you know, I'm trying to hook you up, man. That's the thing. Like, if if you need thirty thousand dollars in your and it's mostly coming from friends and family, just ask for a fucking loan. Like, get a loan. Like, do this privately and peer to peer. Don't solicit investment because, like, he's and the point. The important thing is he's soliciting investment 
to Americans, which makes you soliciting investment to Americans is a big fucking deal. Like you, if you want to do that, you have to, you have to make proper filings. And if you want to solicit investment to unaccredited investors, I've been in this world with realty for like the past and even before realty with security tokens. So like this is been baked into my brain like if you want to solicit investment to americans and they need to be accredited and then you need to file a reg d and if you want to solicit investment from unaccredited investors you need to file a reg a which there's no fucking way you're gonna file a reg a and get approved like that's only happened once in crypto ever and it costs millions of dollars and so on twitter kerman is like you know, I, I, I'm only soliciting like $30,000. And so that, that, because that number is low, it's going to, it's going to, you know, keep this from being like legal headache. And like the other way to interpret that is that it's such a low amount that no authorities are ever going to come find him if he does something wrong. And therefore there's also no legal recourse. That's basically what he just said, but with different words. And I don't even think he considered that, but basically he's, what he's saying is like $30,000 is enough for me to fly under the radar and not get in trouble. And then therefore there's no investor protections. That's true. But the thing is, is like, isn't this kind of like what crypto uh, enables is uh, the ability to, to do whatever you want. And then on top of that, that like numerous activity is so difficult for governments to allocate resources to squash that their regulations become sure meaningless sure, right and that yeah permissionless finance is permissionless like big shocker like like he's using permissionless tools to do things permissionlessly and so like that is in the vision of crypto i guess um at the same time, I can permissionally shit on this idea and try and convince people to not, you know, send people money to investments. Sure. So crypto enables scamming and you are trying to give good sound uh, investment advice. Yeah, I feel like the fucking Bitcoiner during the ICO mania. Oh, man. <laughs> well, so, OK, so this is this is why I've taken this like I I, I didn't really mean to be, to like put the, the this burden on my shoulders or whatever or like take this personally or anything but like you like to take things personally though. i do take things personally. Your shtick. well okay so there's two reasons why i'm taking this personally first off like there's now two of these things like the first one was like okay like whatever that was that was funny but like now we're moving on now there's two of them and like i the last thing i want for there to be is four of them and then eight of them and then 16 of them and then and then we're off to the fucking races and so like i want to i want to send a very strong message that this is a dumb fucking idea and the other reason why i'm taking this personally is i work my fucking ass off trying to promote defi and all of its benefits and what you can do with it and the world ahead of us and like the permissionless finance settlement assurances like protocol robots you don't have to trust anyone and then if if we just get another ICO mania from this personal tokens revolution, it's like wow, like all of my effort just went down the drain because like, you know, this this guy wanted like a thirty thousand dollar gift to like leverage long ether before before you know proof of stake happens. Like no, like fuck, like my the reputation of my industry is at stake, and I and I and I feel victimized by that if you are threatening it. And so this is personal yeah. for me. No, I think a lot of Bitcoiners can relate to that sentiment. You're trying to legitimize this thing, and you're trying to build legitimate things, and then there's a bunch of clowns who uh, think that they can get rich quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's very importantly absent from the offering is what the funds are going to be used for. 
So like I just said, he's going to go leverage long on Ether because I don't actually know. I don't know what he's going to do. When you solicit in, in for money, for investments, it's because you need a, you need the capital for a reason. Like what is the capital being used for? That is absent from like all of it, all the conversations I've seen. So like what's up with he's that? Been reading, he's been reading the Bitcoin stock to flow analysis and he sees that the stock is about to shift <laughs> up in four days. And go from nine thousand, you know, to like whatever the model predicts, and he's like, "Fuck, I can get me some three bitcoins right now." Are we? Is this our transition? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's to transition. the having. Yeah, the having. The having. This is so, our first having, Christian. Yeah, it is. It's exciting. I feel like this is definitely something that it, it, it's important for if you are a newbie to become like a, a like this kind of marks that you've been in the space for an extended period of time because typically. You get in because of a bull run, and then you make it all the way for for that four you're having. So I'm excited. Like I've been in, in grinding and and just interacting in this space uh, since 2017. So I'm definitely still a newbie. So whoever's watching this, <laughs> just know. Um, but it's just it's exciting, and uh, yeah, I was gonna say it's just exciting, and uh, it's I don't know. I, I, personally, I think it's bullish. Like I don't, I'm not like a stock to flow disciple or anything like that, but uh, I definitely think that scarcity is important. I think that the fact that uh, programmatic monetary policy is kind of like this is a stake in the ground saying like the monetary policy is still dis- enforced by a decentralized node and it's still programmatic and humans are not involved in it. And it's exactly how it was coded, you know, 11 years ago. I think that's really important. Do I dare ask the question whether the having is priced in or not? It's like, what does that even mean? Like, okay. Probably yeah. the like the miners are leveraging up on equipment right now, so they're a lot of them are probably ready for this. Like Eric, uh, Eric, uh, what's his face? Uh, Connor was like, "I'm excited for Bitcoin's security get cut in half." I was like, "Dude, the hash rate is not going to get cut in half. Okay, maybe it will dr- it'll drop off like thirty percent, but like even still, it's higher than it was three months ago." He should have said uh, the the subsidy. Sure, but I mean this. Does that matter, or did just Bitcoin security just become cheaper, and it's still pulling in the same security because all these yeah. miners have already invested in their hardware? I think that's probably what happened. So I think that's a little priced in, but the the magnitude of uh, Bitcoin stock to flow going equivalent to gold that's definitely not priced in, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I and and I kind of I was watching Nick Carter's opinions about this change over time, where he wrote that like thirty minute like. You Bitcoiners are dumb because of the efficient uh, market hypothesis that the having is definitely priced in. And then coronavirus happened and then money printer went bare. And then he was all of a sudden maybe and then he was all of a sudden like maybe the having isn't priced in because money printer is going burr right now. I think the symbiosis between the coronavirus money printer burr and the Bitcoin happening makes it much more likely that to whatever the degree that the Bitcoin happening isn't priced in is actually a, a worthwhile statement to consider that it is not priced in. I think the distinction is, and I've heard a lot of fucking arguments about this at this point. I've even debated Jason Williams, who was on the show. That's how we met uh, on this topic. But I think the distinction is 6.25 BTC block reward is priced in. The magnitude of Bitcoin stock to flow changing is not priced in. Um, I think that's the the most logical. Can you parse that out? Yeah, I think miners have already calculated their business 
with the knowledge that 6.25 BTC is going to be the block reward in four days. Like, all of their investments in the past whatever, like, six months have been with that knowledge, and they are using that as part of their calculation. But the economic consequences on the price from that happening, you know, three, six, ten months out, I don't think that, you know, that can be known, especially with Money Printer, Going Burr, and all this other craziness happening. Um, I, I just don't think it can be it can be known. So so uh, educate me with some some minor economics. Is this when the, when the happening happens? Is this when we expect to see miners dropping out, or is is that with a different time, or is that a different phase in, in Bitcoin cycles? Yeah, no, most likely miners will drop out. There's also going to be an eight percent difficulty adjustment uh, after the having. So on top of on top of you know theoretically a fifty percent difficulty adjustment happening on you know on one point. There's a, in addition to that, there's going to be another eight percent um, difficulty change. Um, just why, because why? Because hash because hash rate is just skyrocketing right now. Uh, Bitcoin blocks are coming extremely fast. So. This is what's happened. I mean, again, I'm not an expert, but I just hear a lot of smart people, experts talking about what is happening. But essentially what is happening is there are efficient miners and there's inefficient miners. The inefficient miners right now, they were off three weeks ago and then they came back on because Bitcoin started pumping um, and they, they, they saw that there's some more efficient, there's some more money that they can squeeze out of their machines the inefficient miners are going to drop off. Like eventually, like some of them will keep mining, but eventually, unless they have continued to reinvest into their uh, into their facilities, they're just not going to be able to keep keep the lights on. So um, is that is that bankruptcy or is that is that what is that? I mean, it's most likely it's planned. You know, it's, I don't think these people. I don't think you know there are stupid miners who made stupid investments and they're going to go bankrupt. There's also going to be miners that just. They're out of the game. Their contract is ending. Their lease is ending. They're just not going to keep doing it. Um, and then there's other people that are leveraging up. The reality is, is that what is going to happen is kind of a centralizing effect is that inefficient miners are going to drop off. Efficient miners are going to essentially capture even more share of the market um, and then, you know, continue hashing. Uh, I don't think that, like, this has major centralization risks because the efficient miners of today are the inefficient miners of tomorrow. Like that's just how it goes is it's not the current people that continue to gain power. It's new, bigger parties getting involved and, and boxing out, you know, the small guy every time. So, um, but the, the big guys right now are going to win. That's for sure. So the people who are efficient, they have, uh, they have scale, they have big contracts, whatever um those are they're going to keep hashing all the everyone else that was competing with them is going to die and they're just going to claim more of the market share and that could potentially lead to more price appreciation because all of a sudden these miners that didn't have to sell to make ends meet they were already afloat they're already well capitalized now they're just hoarding bitcoins also not now that now they're in the money yeah so they're in the money they're in a better position uh they didn't necessarily have to sell every single month uh, so they have an even more of an incentive to hoard to hoard bitcoins and constrain the supply even more than than the having. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm with it. It's it's interesting to see it happening. Um, but I guess you know ultimately 
what is more important than like the day of the having or even a few months after the having is this idea that the monetary policy is going to change and it's going to get more strict no matter what anyone else wants. And right. in the Bitcoin community, they've been pushing this new narrative. It's called quantitative tightening. And it's this idea yeah, like I've the opposite mm-hmm. of quantitative easing is like Bitcoin is going to quantitatively tight no matter what you think, no matter what is happening in the world, it's just going to do it. And I'm actually curious, what, what's your opinion on that? And is that a better uh, meme than halvening or have halvening? Uh, me, that's a good question. I, I was about to say I think that's a shitty meme, but I think it's much better coming from the outside of crypto perspective because we all, outside of crypto, like everyone knows what QE is. Like we, we know that. So like when you talk about what's what quantitative easing and then all of a sudden you hear quantitative tightening, you're like, okay, I don't know what that is, but I kind of also do know what that is already. Like I already like, okay, quantitative isn't new and then easing and tightening are, are, you know, the opposites. And so you already have like a mental model for what that means. So I guess from, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's not fun to say. It's not fun to envision. It's like, they're terrible words to begin with. Quantitative tightening. Like it, that doesn't sound good, but those that's, no. but <laughs> so meme scores on that are low, <laughs> but, but as to, as far as effectiveness in the real world for communicating what Bitcoin is, I, I would give it strong marks. I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially cause I feel like not only does everyone know what quantitative easing is now, but on top of that, they know that it means money printer go burr. So quantitative tightening is the opposite of money printer Gilbert, which I think sounds pretty damn good to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people, not 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 a lot, a lot, but a decent amount of people. I'm starting to see it more and more and more. I saw it on the Sam Harris podcast of all places uh, from Yuval Noah Harari, who's a fantastic thinker that you know other very smart people talk about. Talk about how like the coronavirus is not a health epidemic. It is not. It's not. It's not a pandemic. Or oh, it is a. Well, it is a fucking pandemic. But the the crisis is a political crisis. And then he immediately turned to the fact that the that the federal gov the centralized governments, not even the American government, but the governments around the world are printing a ton of money, and there is turmoil with how we are deciding to allocate those funds. Small businesses are going underwater. People are unemployed. And fucking Justin Sun just got a small business loan yeah, from the fucking federal dollars. government. In fucking saying, how many millions of dollars? He got two million. It wasn't huge, but like that that's could huge. Solve, that okay, could save don't. a lot of businesses. That could say okay. So in a Planet Money podcast episode, I listen to a ton of podcast episodes. By the way, uh, Molly Moons, which is a ice cream shop that is just up the street from me, from a, a local Seattle business owner who built her the own company, applied for a small business loan, applied for three hundred thousand dollars of a small business loan, uh, and then when they when she finally heard back from the federal government for how much money she's got she's getting, she got she got awarded fifteen thousand dollars in loans. And she's in the podcast she said, I opened up the letter and I just looked at the number and I just fucking laughed because fifteen dollars isn't gonna do shit. And then meanwhile, Justin Sun, who has already his own money printer, who already has his own money printer is accessing money from the money printer of the United States, which is just fucking, if that doesn't under like explain what the fucking, what what's wrong with this whole system. I don't know what payment protection plan, bro. (laughs) But the reality is, is, is 
like when funds get allocated not based on making uh you know based on market-based uh activity then they become politically based activity and guess who's better at that people with lawyers and not your mom and pop so now it's like how many lawyers do you have and how good are your accountants like Mm -hmm. that's it right skills political skills and and political skills are just like rubbing shoulder skills it's like it's golf skills how good are you at golf that's that how good are you at golf is it impacting the economics of the world right now and guess what being good at golf is not good at allocating capital yeah. <laughs> the market is good at allocating capital. Do you know how many go- how much golf clubs cost? Good golf clubs cost thousands of dollars. If you're buying golf clubs, you automatically are disqualified for good capital allocation. Well, there you go. I mean, like nothing else to say there. <laughs> Juxtapose political money and quantitative easing with Bitcoin and quantitative <laughs> tightening. I think like that's a perfect place to end the show. Absolutely. Uh, do you have any last message for, uh, for our listeners? I do. Come and listen to my talk uh, this Friday, Friday, 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Uh, settlement assurances, uh, settlement assurances uh, borrowing that term from Nick Carter. Nick Carter has influenced me a lot recently. Uh, and the protocol sync thesis. Uh, it's for Bitcoiners and crypto people alike. Uh, I actually talk about Bitcoin for like the first third of the talk. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's not just like a little bit relevant. It's like decently relevant. So come listen to it. Also listen to the ETH is Money panel happening uh, today. Oh, for, for you listeners that are listening to this today, the, the day that it came out, which is Thursday, I'm on an ETH is Money panel tonight uh, with Eric Connor, Ryan Sean Adams, Anthony Cezano, uh, uh, and then hosted by uh, Camelia from the Defiant newsletter. Uh, so that's going to be a fantastic panel. For what it's worth, we did. Uh, I did ask Camelia what her questions are going to be like, and she's like, "I am going to be like the uh, the what's the word um, the what's when you don't agree with someone? Devil's devil's advocate. devil's advocate. And so this isn't just going to be like us just like circle jerking about how ETH is money. So it's it's going to be a good time." I don't quite believe that Camilla is going to be the strongest devil's advocate, but I'm excited to see it. It's definitely, uh, you know, the the super squad of, of ETH content creators on a panel. So uh, I'll be watching it and the other one. Yeah, it's also it's it's also the it's also yeah. the Ethereum podcast panel. All five yeah, of us have true. podcasts. I mean, who doesn't have a podcast these days, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about starting um, another one. What are you going to talk about? No, absolutely not. I have no time for that. Yeah, dude, seriously, you're, you're, you're quite busy. Uh, yeah, my shout-out would be check out BitcoinHavening.com. Uh, the halving is going to be happening on May 11th, which is a Monday. Uh, and we are putting on an epic 21-hour stream for it. Uh, all the content was curated by yours truly. So should be a great time. So start your week or your weekend early with David. End your weekend late with me. It's going to be fantastic. Thanks, guys. Also, check out the show, POV Crypto Pod. Five star reviews. You know it. Peace. <laughs>